For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclawschool.org. Amen. Well, I tell you what, if we're not prepared to worship the Lord through the reading of the Word today, we need to stop and think about it. Thank you so much, choir and praise group and Danny, for getting our hearts ready to enter the presence of the Lord. Thank you so much for that. Man, alive. Open your Bibles to Psalm 44. Psalm 44. We're going to be taking a look, continuing our look at, at revival. I love how God does those things where he just gets the music and the word to come together. And Danny and I don't work on that. God just does it all. And he does it so much better than we ever could trying to orchestrate it. God just brings it all together. Lord, send revival. Lord, send it now. Man, that is what we've been praying for. That is what we have been uh, studying toward. That is what we have been talking about. And, and then Victory in Jesus, which is, is admittedly my favorite hymn ever. I love victory in Jesus, but it kind of ties in with what we're going to be talking today. We're going to be looking at Psalm 44, verse 1. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about His groaning of His precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. How did you do it? I heard an old, old story. Somebody told you about Jesus Christ. Somebody told you the old, old story. We heard it. Look at what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 44.1. Oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us the work that you did in their days, in the days of old. I want to talk today about the fact that we've got a story to tell. We have a story to tell today. Notice that, there's the, that the only reference that this writer had is to what they had heard. Not what they had seen. And I think that's important. Isn't that the truth? Most of us today have never seen a great work of God in revival. Most of us today have never lived through a great working of God in revival. But we've heard about it. Have we heard about it? We've been told about it. The 20th century, just as a little bit of, of historical trivia, a little, the 20th century was the first century when we as Americans did not see an awakening like those who had lived in the 18th and the 19th centuries. The 20th century did not reveal or realize an awakening, a spiritual awakening like that. In Psalm 44, we read the phrase, we have heard with our ears. You know, I wonder what it was like when Abraham told Isaac about how God had called him out of Ur, or when Noah recounted to a whole new generation how God had instructed him to build the ark, or when those who crossed over into the promised land told their children about the wilderness wanderings, about manna from heaven, about the pillar of cloud and fire. Can you imagine them sitting around, and, uh, sitting around a fire or sitting in their homes around the table and them sharing those stories about God's power and His provision and, and how God was so close? Can you imagine hearing those stories? I heard an old, old story. The psalmist has given us a song about the stories he heard. These stories were passed on so that the next generation would remember the faithfulness of God 
And by remembering that, they would be able to stand on the trustworthiness of God's Word, that we can trust God for who He is. Why? Because we have seen throughout history how God has dealt with His people, how He has loved us, how He has taken care of us, and how He will continue to do that for the rest of eternity. We've been told those stories. We walk in faith with God based on what we have heard and experienced, but a lot of times we have heard. The Sunday school of the Jewish home, you see, was the home itself. It was the home itself. Around the table, over meals, at the gates, they would tell and tell and retell the great stories of their faith. Do we do that? Well, number one, do we take the time to sit around our table? That's an important question. But if we do, do we take time to tell the stories of our faith? The great stories of the provision of God. The great stories of His, of His love for us. One reason we may miss revival is because we aren't taking enough time to tell our kids stories of the faithfulness of God. Are we doing that? Are we telling those that are, that are coming after us the stories of God's faithfulness so that the seeds of revival will be planted? I and mean, we talk about the good old days, but we don't have a revival to refer to. If we do, it's a, a distant memory. It's not a current reality. We live in a society, in a church, in a world that is in desperate need of revival. We don't have one to look back on. Israel's history was a track record of God's faithfulness. That is what they shared. They shared His faithfulness to them. How, how they had not always been faithful to God, but how God in His mercy, in His grace, had been faithful to them. How God had taken them out of, of bondage. How God had delivered them into a land that He promised. How God had helped them to grow and had defeated their enemies. How God had done all of these things for them. Can you imagine just sitting around the table listening to those accounts? That's what revival would do for us. It would give us an opportunity to share something tangible. Something that is in our present memory that God had done for us. See, look, in the mundane of everyday life, in the routine of life, God showed up in, in the lives of, of His people. They talked about divine interventions. They talked about deliverance. They talked about God's mercy. And today, I think most of our talk is kind of superficial. It's not personal. It's not intimate. If we want to experience true revival, we have got to become intimate and personal with God. We have got to realize what God is doing in our lives. I asked in Sunday school this morning, do we ever stop and consider what is going on in our lives that only God can do? What's happening in your life today that only God can do? Every one of us has got something. If you're here today and your heart is beaten, you're living something that only God can do. We're going to experience revival. We've got to grab onto that. The things that are going on in our lives that only God can do. And we've got to use those as a springboard to ask God to bring a fresh, a fresh wave of passion into His people. 
We hear what God is doing overseas, right? We hear all the time from missionaries that go over and come back and talk about the great revivals that are taking place in places around the world where God is just transforming communities. Folks that five, ten years ago knew nothing about this God and nothing about this Jesus Christ are coming to, to, coming to, to a saving knowledge of Him by the hundreds and the thousands and they're defying government and they're defying their culture to, to worship and to praise the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We hear about those stories, but we don't see it here. We don't see it here. Michael Carr wrote this, We've substituted technology for truth, playing for praying, sports for sanctification, and hobbies for holiness. Meanwhile, our families and churches are dying. The majority of churches in the Southern Baptist Convention statistics will show, are either plateaued or declining. They're either holding their own or, they're, or they're, they're dying out. Thousands of churches never baptize a soul. America is one of the largest mission fields in the world. We don't like to think about it that way. We like to think of America as the place where we send out missionaries to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ and bring these people who are in, in lands far away, thousands and thousands of miles away from here, bring them knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. The United States of America is one of the largest mission fields in the whole world. Are we reaching out to ourselves? Are we doing those things? Who's praying for God to raise up a man, raise up a church, somebody, somewhere to be a catalyst for revival in our time. Will we be the next revival? Will we be the next great awakening? Do we expect God to do great things today or is it still just ancient history? Do we still love to read about the great things that God did but we don't really experience it personally? Do we expect God to do that? Do we see the Bible as a historical document telling us about what God has done in, in, in times past? Or do we see the Bible as a living, present, active revelation of what God is still doing in our world today? The Bible is alive. It lives in us. It moves us. It communicates with us. Do we treat it like something God is doing today in this world? Our faith might grow stronger if we would read our Bibles and take God at His Word. Pray big prayers to a big God. Pray expectantly, knowing that God can and certainly will do the things that He has promised us in His Word. If we would simply call, on to, call to Him. Call to Him in passion. Call to Him in obedience. Call to Him in gratitude and gratefulness. For who He is and what He has done. See, we think that if we don't expect great things from God, then we won't be disappointed. But I know this. If God is not working today, it's not our fault. It's not His fault. It's ours. It's not God's fault. It's our fault. If God is not doing a great work today. God hasn't failed us, you see. We failed Him. Because we've drifted into independence. We've drifted into 
living our lives on our terms and doing things our way and having the ministries that we want to do that make us comfortable, that reach the people that we want to reach, as opposed to reaching out to who God would have us to reach out to, living in a way that God would have us to live, doing the things that God would have us to do. We're living on our agendas, not His. And that's why we haven't experienced the great revival. And we're not going to experience a, a renewal, an awakening, a revival until we get our agendas in line with God's agenda. We've got to get ourselves in line with Him. And let me tell you this. Parents aren't teaching their kids great truths today. Parents aren't teaching their kids great truths. The church can't go any farther than the members and families are willing to go. Right? We're not a living organism separate and apart from each other. Our families and our families' commitment to the truths of God's Word are reflected in the church. Because we are the church, right? So we're not going to go any farther. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to, to be uh, renewed and revived and that type of thing. We're not going to do that until the families are doing that. Remember, we've talked so many times about the fact that revival is individual first. God revives us and then he brings us to the church together. So then in turn, the, the revival sweeps through the church. And the church is not going to go any further than the members and the families are willing to go. If we're not teaching our children, our grandchildren our nieces and nephews, the young people in our circle. If we're not teaching the young people in our circle to believe great things and to seek great things from God, then they will grow up not even hearing about revival, much less seeing it. That's part of our, part of our calling. We want our kids to be able to say, I heard an old, old story, not just sing it as empty words to know that they heard that story of the saving power of Jesus Christ. That they know about the victory in Jesus. That, they, that, their, that their, their parents and their grandparents and their aunts and uncles, the people that came before them, prayed to God earnestly and desperately and loudly for a revival to sweep through the church. And God heard and He answered. God, send revival. Lord, send it now. We've raised a generation like those in the days of the judges. In Judges 2.10, he says, A generation who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. They didn't know. A whole generation had come up that didn't know God, didn't know the great things that God had done for them. Why? Because it wasn't being shared around the table. It wasn't being shared when they got together. Do we have any great works to show them? Look, young people don't come to church because we don't look like we care. Just think about that, guys. We'd rather point fingers at this godless youth culture than let God break our hearts about the false gods that they chase after. Are we praying for that? That God will renew our families. That God will renew those people that are, that are in our circle. That, 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 they're a, that God will bring a great work to His people through us. <clears throat> if you hunger for revival... And I pray that we are developing a, a passionate hunger for revival. If you hunger for revival, I encourage you to read the great workings of God that are recorded in Scripture. Read of how God delivered His people from many years of bondage 
in Egypt. Read of the revivals under several of the kings that came through. Read of the revival under Nehemiah's leadership. The ladies are in, in their two Bible studies that have started a study in Nehemiah. That is a study of revival. That is a study of, of, of obedience, of God putting the right people in the right place at the right point in history to make something great happen on behalf of his people and by a revival. There were people, when Ezra would come together, Nehemiah brought the people in, into, the, uh, into Jerusalem. They brought them together and Ezra would open the books of the law and, and, and read for hours, hours. And people would stand there and listen or bring little blankets or however they did it and listen as this priest read about what God had done for his people. And that brought about a revival. It was a recommitment of God's people to God and a renewal of what God was doing for his people. But if you read that, read too about the great accounts of revival since the time of the Reformation. It's been pointed out that leaders are readers. We study. We understand that when we understand our history, it puts us in a better position to understand our future. If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be a, a catalyst for revival, we all need to know what we're talking about and what we're asking for. Don't be a part of, of those that, that don't study or that, that are, are happy not knowing. Be informed. Pray intelligently. Believe that God can do it again. Believe that what we pray for earnestly, revival, renewal, uh, hope, that the things that we pray for, pray that God can do that again. Pray about the great awakenings in this country. Read about Charles Finney. Read about the Welsh revival. Read about the revival in Scotland and the revival under Duncan Campbell. As you, as you read, ask God to give birth in you a hunger for more and more and much more. Not just for ourselves, but for the generations that follow. Pray for those things. The prophet Malachi wrote to people who were wondering if the glory days of God were past. Now, we just finished on Sunday night a study of Malachi. He was the last prophet of the Old Testament who wrote the last book and he issued the last warning. The people of his time were keeping the rituals, right? They were going through the motions. They were keeping the rituals, but the glory of God wasn't there. They were just doing it because it had always been done before. It didn't mean anything. They were just kind of going, going through the motions. But their hearts weren't in it. You see, they assumed God was the problem. And if you've read Malachi, you will know that God told them they are the problem. Take a look at Malachi 1, 6-14. I think we're going to put it up on the screen if you can't flip, if you want to flip to it in your Bible. But it's Malachi 1. We're going to look at verses 6-14. through 14. This is when God talks to his people. He says, As a son honors his father and a servant his master, then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name, priests. Now, this is not just the people. This is the people who are called upon by God to lead in worship. Calls about the priests. He says, but you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now you will not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us with such an offering 
on your part, will he receive any of you kindly? Says the Lord of hosts. Verse 10 says, Oh, that there were among you one who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled and it is for fruit. Its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. And you, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. See, the people of Malachi's day defiled the altar of God, which was the way that they communicated with God. It was the way that they sought God's presence, that they sought God's blessing. They, they defiled it, God said, by their attitudes and by the pathetic offerings that they were having. I mean, it was sad what they had gotten to the point in their culture that they were doing. They weren't giving God their best. They weren't giving God their best anything. They were bringing blind and, and, and sick and, and crippled animals in to offer, on the, to offer as a sacrifice to God and asking Him to accept that sacrifice. And God says, I am the God of Israel. I am great. And you're bringing me this? They were thumbing their noses at God. They were bringing insufficient, unacceptable offerings to Him. Look, what we bring God is a reflection of what we think about Him. You thought about that? What we bring to God, whether it's our, look, whether it's our time or our talents or our resources, the excuses that we make when, when God calls us to do something and we don't want to do it, so we don't, the things that we bring to God are a reflection of what we think of God. Do we worship a big God? Do we worship a mighty God? A holy God? A precious God? Then we need to bring Him big and the biggest we can. And the holiest we can. We need to bring it to Him. I'll ask a question. How would you characterize your obedience in this area of life? Are you giving your best? Are we giving our best are we trying to see how little we can, we can do and still carry out and still kind of curry God's favor? What is the least I can do? And get away? I used to do that when I was cleaning my room or told to do my chores at home. What is the least I can do and not get in trouble? Right? A lot of us still do that sometimes in other areas of our life. But we'll ask, what is the least I can do and, and not get in trouble? And, and the people in Malachi's day were doing that and think that probably translates a lot to today. We, we, we don't mess, maybe not consciously ask ourselves, but unconsciously. We'll say, what's the least I can do and get away with it? We're given every indication that we're faithful, trying to keep up impressions. But we're hiding things. It's, it's, an, it's an attitude, any attitude other than our best for Him is lame. I mean, it really is. Any attitude other than giving God our best is just, is just lame. It's a form of godliness without the power. It's an ongoing hindrance of revival. 
So why am I harping on giving? Why am I harping on all of this kind of stuff when we're talking about revival? Well, Ron Dunn wrote, wrote that God always reserves something for himself in the physical realm where man obtains his living to remind man that God is the sovereign owner. See, in Malachi 389, which I think every pastor in, in history has given in a message on stewardship, every one of them, it says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse because of robbing me, the whole nation of you. And this truth is found over and over again in scriptures. God reserved a tree, right, in the garden. He reserved the Sabbath in the work week. He reserved a rest for the land. The tithe and on and on. These things that God reserved unto himself. God owns it all. And, and our, our failure to acknowledge that is, is a fact. Well, it's resistance to surrender. Are we, are we surrendering? It's a hindrance to revival. To rob God is to covet, to, to defraud, to deceive. It's pretending to be somebody we're not. It keeps us from surrender. When we're not honest with ourselves, we're not going to be honest to God. Got to be honest with ourselves first so we can be honest with God and surrender to Him. There's a promise made to those who hear God's warnings, who surrender to God completely. If you look at Malachi 3.16, it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before Him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem His name. A couple of things. A group of people. Who is that? That's the remnant. That's the remnant. That's those that are left. And what did they do? They put together a book of remembrance. Why? So one day, those that come after them will hear the old, old story. They'll hear the story of God's deliverance. They'll hear the story of His love and His patience. They'll hear the story of, of the way He called them back to Himself. He didn't just write the people off. He called them back to Himself. These people will do that. God remembers those who honor Him. In the midst of all the making excuses or the justifying selfishness or the arguing with God, there was a remnant of those people who feared Jehovah God. They feared Him. Where there is a remnant, there is hope. That's the good news. Where there is a remnant, there is hope. Those of this world, the carnal folks, those of this world will never seek revival. But we must not let them set the tone. We must not let them dictate the terms. We must set the tone. If we're going to see revival in our lifetime, if we're going to see a, a great awakening in our lifetime, we have got to set the tone. Where there is a remnant, there is hope. Are we that remnant? We sing, and I hope with passion and, and authenticity, Lord, send revival. Lord, send it now. Maybe God is waiting for one of us to be that catalyst. Maybe God is waiting for one of you to give your heart to Him completely. To be so overwhelmed by the beauty and the magnitude and the wonder of God's saving grace. Grace is a favor that we don't merit. 
Mercy is that God showers on us new and fresh every day and in unlimited quantities. Mercy is, is relief, deliverance from something that we deserve, a punishment that we deserve. God saves us from our sin through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. He defeated sin. He defeated death and hell in the tomb. And He did it for me and for you. Have you made that real in your life? Have you accepted that offer of eternal life? Have you accepted that offer of, of renewal inside? That revival that, that is inside? Have you done that? If not, let today be that day. Maybe you are the person that we're waiting for to usher in revival in the people of God. Maybe you're the person that we're going to feed off of. Maybe somebody here who's been a Christian for a long, long time needs to remember what it was like when they were first saved. Y'all remember what it was like when you were first saved? How beautiful it was, how everything just seemed different. Maybe we need to get back to that so God will use us as a catalyst for revival. Maybe we've got stories to tell of the beauty and the faithfulness of God. Are we telling them? Let's tell those stories to anybody that'll listen. And even the people that you don't think are listening. I've discovered the hard way that my kids hear stuff, whether I want them to hear it or not. Are we telling those stories about Jesus? Are we helping to write on their heart every word? We want revival. We need to be. Let's us be the remnant. The faithful remnant that moves the people of God. That secures the blessings of God. That becomes the foundation for the next great awakening in our people. Let's do that together. Father, I, I just thank you for your love for us. God, I, I thank you for, for calling us out, Lord. I mean, just like in Malachi's day. Call us out, Lord, when we're not right. Help us to see where we need to be. God, help us first give ourselves to you wholly and completely and totally in surrender and acceptance and in love, Lord, and, and change us on the inside so that we can gather together with the body of believers and change that body of believers and through that change the world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the spirit that you've sent into this place today. Help us to take it and as we leave, Lord, share it with somebody else. God, help us to have those, to take those stories of what you have done in our lives and the lives of our family for generations ago and God, to share them with people that are coming after us. Lord, your love knows no bounds. Your mercy and grace are just overflowing, Lord, and we love others and we serve others and we reach to others out of an abundance of what you have given us. God, help us to do that today. Oh, how we want to be the people that you would use to kindle a revival in your people today. Help us today, Lord, to, to grasp hold of that, of that mission, of that vision. Lord, empower us and enable us. In Jesus' name.